Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be now and always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, uh, Happy New Year. Today, as you uh, know, is the last Sunday in the church calendar. So next week, we start a new year in the church calendar. It's just a reminder that we're kind of out of sync, out of step with the world in some ways. We're of the world, but it's a little bit different. I always love the end of the year when they come out with the year in review magazines and TV programs, a reminder what's happened, and then uh, kind of a little forecast look ahead. How's your year been? Some in our community have faced some big challenges. There's been some exciting developments, some good stuff, some hard stuff. What about this coming year? Do you have plans, hopes, dreams, aspirations, fears, anxieties about what's coming? So... The last Sunday of the Christian year, then, is called Christ the King Sunday. Why do they choose that Sunday to highlight the fact of Christ's kingship, that he's king? Here's what I think. In Advent, of course, uh, starts next week. And then we have a few short weeks to get ready for Christmas celebrations, right? We've got shopping and cards and dinners and concerts and music and... Uh, You'll see in the bulletin, it's a full program from now till Christmas. And it's a lot of work to get ready for Christmas. Now, it happens at the same time as Advent. But Advent is really about getting ready for his coming again. He promised to come again. And he has told us that when he comes again, he will come again in great majesty and glory. That he will not be veiled with a human body and his humanity, but for all to see. His kingship. So the last Sunday, the Sunday before Advent, is Christ the King Sunday to remind us who we're getting ready for. So if you think there's a lot to do to get ready for Christmas, think of how much there is to get ready for his coming again, that we would be ready for him. Would you turn with me then? Let's look at the gospel reading for Christ the King Sunday in John chapter 18. It's in your bulletin. If you'd follow along, it's a short passage. It's an enigmatic, obscure, dramatic, ludicrous kind of story, exchange, conversation. We realize it's not so much a conversation as it is an interrogation. Pilate comes on the scene. This is the first time we meet Pilate in the Gospel of John. But every Gospel, all four Gospels, have him posing this question to Jesus... Are you the king of the Jews? And then the Greek order, the first word is you for emphasis. And it's almost like Pilate with his regalia, his self-confidence and uh, being the representative of Caesar in Rome, has before him probably a somewhat bedraggled uh, person who's been arrested the night before, spent the night in custody, probably has come with his hands bound. And Pilate says to him, you You are the king of the Jews? I wonder what you would have answered if you were Jesus. How do you answer that? You? You're the king of the Jews? You can't be serious. But Jesus 
in an audacious manner, turns the, tur- turns the tables, and he begins his interrogation. And in the Greek, and again, the emphasis is on you. You? You ask this question? Does this question come from you? Do you even know me? Or did someone else tell you about me? So all of a sudden, Jesus is kind of turning the tables to see what's what. In the eyes of Pilate, the king of the Jews was no big thing. Rome allowed certain kingdoms to have their own king without any question that they had absolute control. Caesar knew that he could at any time come in and impose his will through his military. But he allowed people to call them, style themselves king. Herod was referred to as the king of the Jews. Agrippa, the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, so there was no big deal to be called the king of the Jews. Pilate replied in verse 35, I'm not a Jew, am I? Here's another question. Your own nation and the chief priests have handed handed you over to me. What have you done? Another question. See, this whole interchange is mostly questions. What have you done? He's only concerned that if Caesar hears that Jesus has been doing something rebellious or seditious, that Pilate himself might get into trouble because he was there to control that. But Jesus, again, rather than answering the question, what have you done, he turns it again and starts talking about his kingdom. And three times he specifies, clarifies, that his kingdom is not of this world. Look at it. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting for me. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So he's saying his kingdom is not based on any ground-level support, but from God himself. It's not based on any democracy or vote or clan. It comes from God, his kingship, his dominion, his kingdom. But therefore is effective all over the world. Going across any kind of borders is his kingdom and we are his followers. Pilate thinks the Jews and their unlikely king, far beneath his dignity, thinks he's in charge. We like to think we're in charge, don't we? Especially you Texans, us Texans. The Texas Monthly is called, this month called the power issue. Because we like to be in charge. We like to have significance and have influence and have agency that people might do what we ask or do what we say. And we like to be enthroned on the throne of our own heart. It's not only about if Jesus is king, but is he your king? Is he the king of your heart or not? We hunger and thirst for power, influence, prerogative, and privileges. You know, Jesus never referred to himself as king. And earlier on in the Gospel of John in chapter 6, the people come and say, he's done such an amazing job. It says the people are coming to make him king by force. And he walks away from it because that is not what his kingship is about. His parables, though, were about the kingdom of God. Time and again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's an assumption that there is a king, but this is what his kingship should look like. We're very different than what the Roman Empire imagined. So Pilate, imagining that he is in charge of the conversation, the interrogation, he was going to have to deal with Jesus. 
But he's seen that Jesus is turning the tables. The king of the Jews was no big deal to Pilate. But the earliest Christian creed in the New Testament is only two words. We're going to stand and say the Nicene Creed in a few minutes, and it's a lot longer. But in the New Testament, the creed was two words in Greek, Jesus, Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, it didn't say Jesus is king. It said Kyrios is the word where we get Caesar from. So the early Christians were saying Jesus is above Caesar. He's not a local king, but he's much more powerful than Caesar. If there is a Caesar, it is Jesus himself. And think what a radical thing that was to say in those days. So Pilate asked him again, so you're a king? Jesus said, you say that I'm a king, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And then it goes on in verse 38, which isn't in your bulletin, that famous line from Pilate, what is truth? And this whole passage is kind of left hanging with this question, what is truth? And one of the commentators suggested John leaves it like this, as if Jesus is going to say, I'm going to show you what truth is. I'm going to show you a God who has ultimate authority and yet is willing to give himself for his people. And based on that ultimate power, power and authority, not only will he give himself for us, but he will demonstrate his power by rising again to demonstrate that he has authority over even death itself. Let's turn, uh, go back to verse 3. What, so what's this mean to us? There's two references here to the followers of Jesus that are kind of unique and interesting. The first one back in 36 uh, he says, if my kingdom were of this world, my followers would fight for me. So he's made it clear the kingdom's not of this world. So what are we followers supposed to do? Nothing? I like to think that he calls us to a different kind of battle with different kinds of weapons, that we are called to do something. If Jesus' kingdom was of this world, he said we would pick up arms and fight for him. His kingdom is a different kingdom, a better kingdom, but he still calls us to pick up his weapons and fight for him. Weapons of love and mercy and compassion and peace and forgiveness and calls us to engage the powers, to walk out and do something, to say something, to speak up, to have your voice heard in the arena. I love what Mother Teresa says. Mother Teresa was asked, why do you care so much for the poor? In all their decrepit situation, how can you see their dignity? And apparently she would take the questioner's hand and she'd wiggle each finger. You did it to me. Whatever we do to the lowliest of our neighbors, Jesus says, we do it to him, the king of kings. And so I think he calls us then to be engaged in the battle. There is a battle. A battle for the kingdom, for peace and love and mercy and harmony, all those kinds of things. The world desperately needs us as his army with his weapons. And the last one is in verse 37. It says, everyone who belongs to the truth. I think that's a reference to us. We have heard the gospel message. We have heard the truth of God. 
And we need to live out of that. How do we live out of that? Do you see what it says? Everyone who belongs to the truth does what? Listens to my voice. To center ourselves, to listen, to remember what he has gone through for us. Remember what he calls us to. We need to live out of the truth that there is a God. And that his uh, estimation of success is much different than the world's. That he calls us to live out of our image of God in which we're made. To be kind. To forgive as he forgave. To love as he loved. And to help others as he helped us. It's easy to think of kingdoms in the, in the area of violence um, that cover the uh, National Geographic is about Vikings. So I was watching the Viking series on TV. And in the third episode, these Vikings come into Lindensfarne, to the monastery, and they destroy all the monks and take all their treasure. A thousand years later, the monastery is still there, and the Vikings aren't. And so we need to remember that we need to take God's view of this. Not to be discouraged about what's happening, but to go forth with confidence that we are part of his kingdom. That he, the king, will be with us. That he, the king, will call us sometimes out of our comfort zone to be there for other people. So, a blessing to you on this Christ the King Sunday. I hope it's been a great year. I hope this coming year is a year of expectation and anticipation to see what the King will do with us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.